Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. on the just baseball show monday may 8th week two with walker bueller but first you get uh, me jack mcmullen him peter apple for a moment because i've got a gripe about the wording of an event in indianapolis that i gotta run by you mm. then we talk to walker bueller about his top pitchers in the game his favorite guys to watch right now uh and then we recap the weekend that was in major league baseball here's my problem you ready yep so great event put on um, the Indy Mini, the Indy 500 is at the end of this month. There is a company called the Indy 500 Festival that is in charge of like all of the build up to the Indy 500. And they put on a half marathon on a 5K and they run through downtown Indianapolis. But they don't call the half marathon the half marathon. They call it the mini marathon. Mm, and my like problem, that. yeah, like my problem with that wording is mini sounds like way less than half. I think if I was running it, I would feel better about them calling it the Indy half than the Indy mini marathon. Yeah. Indy half sounds way better. Half marathon is 13 miles. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you ever ran before? <laughs> like like <laughs> how far? That That's a pretty yeah. umbrella question. Have we talked about how I think the runner's high is bullshit, that that, that's just propaganda to get fat people like me out of the house to try it? I've ran before. There is no runner's high. There is lung collapsing. That's not a real thing. How far have you gone? I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, so like that's the thing. I've never reached that point of the runner's high either. So what point is it? Mile 40? I don't know. So my girlfriend ran... Um, the Chicago marathon, she's run a couple half marathons. Like she does this and she swears that there's a runner's high. She's I'm lying like, to you. Okay. I love you comma, but, but <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. There's no way she's just lying to make herself feel better. And it's not just her. It's all runners. Like there's just no way. What, yeah. what does it feel like? That you're you know floating. What? That's, that's a myth. <laughs> that's a myth that is going to be in perpetuity because you've got the Hoka and the OnCloud and the Nike of the world that is like, we got to sell more shoes. We got to tell people that you can get stoned on running. A real high is going four for four in your softball game with two doubles and six ribbies. Ever felt that high? That's what I felt today. Nope. We were on the phone and you said three singles and a double. You know what you just did? You lied. You lied I to the lie. audience. I did lie. Well, you're, you're unbelievable. Well, because it should have been two doubles. The reason it was one double was because I pimped a home run 
yeah. and it hit the fence and I only got to first base. Yeah. But I mean, that's a double in the book. Like you hit one off the wall. Uh, I don't know. I did lie. <laughs> I did lie. <laughs> did lie. I did I feel lie. bad about it. But six uh, RBIs was true, but I did lie. Six RBIs is fair. Yeah. And and I can confirm six was the number that he gave me on the phone too. When we were talking about what we were going to talk about. So as soon as I finished my game, I called Jack to tell him what's that line. Yeah. And, and Peter, a massive congratulations to you on a four hit six RBI night on Sunday at Hudson Yards. Where were you at? East River Park. And my wrist wasn't a hundred percent. All right. I'm not a hero. Take that for what it is. Without further ado, Walker Bueller. Week two of Walker Bueller on the Just Baseball Show. We're stepping into his tasting room and like, dude, you have a wide variety of options here. What are we going with today, man? Uh, today on the Bueller Tasting Room, we're going with Weller 107. This is one of my favorites. This one's hot, though. So okay. for, for those who are a little uh, uninitiated, that one that one's not a great starter. But it is one of my one of my personal favorites. For for someone who's not really initiated into the bourbon scene, what do you mean by hot? Like that okay, just so doesn't one, sound appetizing. This one is called Antique 107. You can see the label there. So this one is 107 proof. So yeah, essentially, what happens is the older they're, the longer they're in there. Essentially, the you know more and more water evaporates out of there. They call that the angel share, um, and so the the proof goes up. So that one's pretty pretty hot. Okay, so that's like one of the ones that you feel stinging in your sternum when you put it down yes. the first time. It's oh, yeah. like this one's gonna kick my ass. I get it. Yeah, there's a few around here. Most of most of like your normal bourbons will be around 100 proof or 90 to 100. That one's 107. There's some float around here. They're like 130. Gotcha. So as bit. I've as I've matured as a bourbon drinker, so in college I used to not like dark liquor at all okay. because I had a very unfortunate situation in college. I went shot for shot with my friends doing Jack Daniels. And I'll save you the graphics. Wasn't ideal. Flipping over poles. Not ideal. Still yeah. felt it whenever I had Jack Daniels. I was like, this just feels <laughs> like I'm going to vomit. But yeah. then as the years have progressed, I've become an old-fashioned guy. So okay. I'm curious, as a bourbon savant, yes, what's your favorite bourbon to put in an old-fashioned? Um. Personally, I'm I'm a big fan of Buffalo Trace. That's kind of my my normal go-to. Um, obviously, when you're making like some any sort of cocktail or an old-fashioned or something, you don't need to go and get like the craziest pappy or or anything like that. So, um, you know, stuff they would have at most bars. I think Buffalo Trace is probably my favorite for that kind of stuff. Got you. I um so I've got I've got a game that I got to do in two hours, so I'm not joining yep. on the Weller thing right now. But I Off. went coffee. I nice. figured I'd show you the bag of grounds. Like I told <laughs> you last week um, that you got to start giving me like all the all the notes that you pick right. up. So this one is a sweet aroma with notes of chocolate, almond, Ooh. and red wine made okay. from Brazil, Honduras, Mexico, and Colombia. Wow. So like that's the kind of stuff I want from you when we get into the bird. Right. We're we're gonna get there. Once we get this thing coordinated, get you guys the certain bottles, we'll we'll go a little deep dive on some of these things. You know how Will Levis puts mayonnaise in his coffee? Yep. I'm sure bourbon in the coffee could do something for you, Jack. I mean, oh, it would make the game much more entertaining. This is very true. <laughs> it's very yeah. true. It's the Harry Carey special, yeah. yeah. Um, hey, I, I want to talk to you. You're back in Lexington right now. You yep. know, we typically talk to you when you're out on the West Coast, but you were back for the Kentucky Derby. want to hit mm-hmm. on that. Um, also got a chance to go golf with your dad, which is, you know, super exciting. So we're going to get to yeah. that. Well, also we're doing, you know, best arms in major league baseball, your favorite arms right. to watch right now. But, you know, first and foremost, man, you were at Churchill yesterday, mage. What were you yeah. expecting there? Big time. No, I had, uh, I had my money on angel empire, angel of empire, uh, ran a, ran a valiant third, but, uh, not much that didn't help me much, you know, no tickets for me, but. Uh, no major and great little small horse and, and ran huge. So uh, it's such a cool event. And it's crazy how many people they pack into that place for the Derby. I think so, it was like 150,000 or something like that. Yeah. 150,000 people. It sounds electric. Um, I have a question too. Can you explain the Derby to me? Like I'm five because okay. I don't really know much about the horse racing and, you know, all over social media, you see people picking their horses and it becomes this enormous event. 
Like, explain to me like I'm five. How do you go about picking a horse? Because I truly have no idea. Okay. So a, a typical horse race is like eight or 10 horses, right? The Kentucky Derby, they ran 20 yesterday, which is pretty normal for the Derby. It's the biggest race in the world. Everyone who ever has owned a horse or even touched the horse business wants to win the Derby. That's like, um, you know, winning the Masters in golf or a World Series. Like, it, it's the thing. Um, so it's for only three-year-old horses mostly male horses every once in a while a big female horse will get in there and, and do well but um yeah they're only allowed to run in the derby once because they can only be three years old you know for the one year and um it's just it's the pinnacle of of horse racing it's a who's who at churchill too so i need like your top three like celebrity dap ups yesterday who did you get to interact <laughs> with yeah i didn't meet a whole lot of people actually um we did get we were coming in, we did like the red carpet thing, you know, and yeah. we're sitting waiting in line and uh, talked to Mark Ingram from the Saints. That was, it was nice to meet him. And, uh, but we're sitting there and we're waiting and Jack Harlow comes and they just move everyone away. And Jack w- walks right by all of us, goes straight in. And the same thing with Patrick Mahomes. So we were like sitting there waiting to go in the Derby. We're uh, all excited. And there's like, hold on, there's, there's important people coming. <laughs> so Patrick Mahomes and Jack Harlow. It, right. Like, you know, you're a big deal. If you, if you ever think that you're a big deal, just get in the same room with Jack Harlow. Right. And I'm right. sure you felt like, Hey, who am I, man? Right. You might as well be named Steve, you know, it, it doesn't matter, but exactly. no, he's from Louisville and that was pretty cool. I mean, I know he's, he's probably a little bit more knowledgeable than the average bear just because he grew up in, in Louisville, but uh, yeah, they just steamrolled right by us. So what I do know about horse racing is that the get-ups, the outfits mm-hmm. that you wear to the Kentucky Derby are oftentimes a little over the top. And yeah. the Jack is a weird fan of the Met Gala. I kind of want okay. him to explain why, because we were texting about it, and he was like, <laughs> I'm definitely tuning in tonight. I was like, do I even know you? Why do you like the <laughs> Met Gala? But right. the Kentucky Derby, people are you know wearing blue suits, and they're, oh, yeah. they're wearing their best outfit. Like, talking about the celebrities, was there anyone you ran into where you looked at them, and you're like, whoa, you definitely... You definitely went all out for this one. Um, I don't think anybody, I think just in general, like the stuff that you'll see people wear and like sort of pull off is kind of, I mean, you're talking, I saw some guys yesterday with full floral suits, head to toe flowers, but with shorts instead of pants, you just see some, some wild, (laughs) wild stuff at the Derby. What was Harlow wearing? Um, I think he was wearing a gray gray suit with some sort of black shirt, maybe. But okay, um, he didn't he didn't go he he didn't lose himself in it. You know, he did he did it well. Yeah, I, I think way worse. <laughs> I think the Kim Mulkey special plays well there, right? You got you got the stuff working right. out sides and all that. Um, you ever cross over with Kramer Robertson at all? Um, no, of him. I think he was at LSU um, when I was at school. Uh, gotcha. Little shortstop. Got you. Um, hey, you also got home to golf, and, and we'll get to baseball here in a moment. Also, want to talk about you know what you did with Fox last year, which was kind of your foray into broadcasting. But um, y- you got to golf with Pops, and uh, you got to use some of the stuff that you've been outfit with in uh, in recent weeks, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, probably a month and a half ago, well, longer than that, a few months back, I called my dad. I was like, "Hey, I get to play my member guest this year. I'll never get to play until I retire, and we got to get you going." So we got him over to TrueSpec, which is um this fitting place in in arizona that i go to and that helps me in my charity event so we got them all set up and, and we've been playing here and there when it gets to arizona and um so yeah i'm, I'm fired up to get get the member guests going with them what's that. the uh what's the best part of your golf game because personally for me i can hit the piss out of a driver yep. i can carve with my irons okay and i'll be on the green for birdie and i'll okay. end up with a double bogey i can't putt yep. for shit yeah no matter what I've always been a terrible putter. What's the yeah. best part of your golf game? You and you and I are carbon copies. Where <laughs> I, I cannot putt. We're both to athletes. Save, to right? save my Jack. life. <laughs> yeah, the, I would like to say I'm one of the longer guys on our team that I've played with. I am probably one of the longer, but Will Smith is the longest guy I've ever played with. That guy makes sense. <laughs> he absolutely kills a golf ball. So I can't even say I'm the I'm the best driver of the ball on my own team. But uh, I do all right. I'm like a seven seven and a half handicap. So. We do all right. I mean, the setup is crazy from Smith. Like, his setup in the box screams, yeah. I can drive the crap out of a golf ball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's – the one of our college coaches always say, great hitters are strong from here to here. And I – like, Will, it's not a crazy swing. It just kind of – he just kills the ball. I don't know. 
Who's who's the best golfer on the Dodgers? And can I take a guess? And is it Mookie Betts? Because he's good at everything. <laughs> Mookie's pretty good. I think Mookie's like a four or five handicap. He's pretty. Of course he is. <laughs> he's pretty pretty impressive on a golf course. He's got a really really good swing. I think he's actually done like some legitimate work trying to work on his golf swing, and uh, you know you can tell. Who's the worst? Oh, uh, I don't know. If you're gonna play, like if you're gonna go play on the road or something, like. Guys that are interested are usually pretty good. We used to do our fantasy football draft order based on a golf shot. And two years in a row, Billy sculled the shot, hit it off the stadium. So uh, Cody's probably the worst I've seen uh, trying to hit a golf ball. I can see him just slicing everything into the woods with just like the fastest swing in golf history (laughs) and just try to hit the ball 400, but it goes 400 uh, down into the woods. Yeah, he swings hard. He swings yeah. hard, but I don't. He's not super accurate with the uh, with the club face. Not shocked by that. I love it. Hey Walker Bueller, let's get into um, your broadcasting experience, right? Because I know this mm-hmm. was on our list last year or last week with with Arm and I. Um, you know, talking about what you did at Fox last year, and you were, you know, this is after you unfortunately went down. Um, you went down what eleven starts into last year, ten starts. Yeah. Um, so NLDS comes around, Dodgers Padres. You get this opportunity with Fox to hop on the desk for pregame and postgame with yep. what, Kevin Burkhart, Poppy, mm-hmm. A-Rod? Yep. Uh, oh, Frank man. Thomas and Frank Don Trill were there. Yeah. What was that like? It was interesting, man. It was – It was first, it was kind of weird to be on that side of the whole thing. And especially I, – I did the Dodger-Padre game too. So, like, to be talking about guys that I play against and play with, it was just kind of an interesting experience. But um, I enjoyed it. They uh, – they had to kind of kid glove treatment me a little bit though. I didn't know I had the Ricky Bobby. I didn't know what to do with my hands and stuff. So <laughs> if you go back and look, they made me hold a baseball like right in front of me because I couldn't like figure out what to do with my hands. But um, other than that, I, I thought it went well. You know, I obviously look back on it and wish I would have like done something different, but all in all, I felt pretty good about it. I remember watching that Dodgers Padres series, and I remember you being pretty unbiased, even though, of course, you're on the Los Angeles Dodgers. Right. And arguably, the rival of the Dodgers is the Padres. Like, did you go in there with the mindset of, I have to be completely unbiased, or was it just kind of natural the way it came out? Yeah. I mean, I, I think being an active player, the biggest thing I think mentally is like, I just didn't want to be negative towards anyone. So I think I just tried to like, point out the positives in, in everybody in both teams and, and go at it that way. I didn't want to, you know, make any enemies more than, than I already have being a player. So, um, no, it, it went well. It was kind of an interesting experience and, and something that, um, you know, I'd like to do again, hopefully not under the same circumstances. I'd, I'd obviously rather be playing, but, uh, no, kind of open, open my eyes a little bit to, to what else there is out there. You know, it's also like a different muscle group that you're working, right? Because right. typically when you're doing media, it's, hey, question and answer, media scrum, not the time or place, Michael, but you also got, yeah. you know, your post-game stuff here too. And, you know, that is, hey, what were you thinking in this moment, right? And you you answer that. And we've seen unfiltered Walker Bueller with the accidental F-bomb, which we love, like that's we the love. favorite thing ever. <laughs> um, but in that sense, there's probably way more structure to talking points than what you're accustomed to having, right? So uh, obviously there's some freedom when you get into each talking point, like, hey, ball's in your court, go wherever you want with this, but this is the premise of what we got to talk about. What do you think about that structure when it came to working on that side of media? Right, it was it was actually pretty cool. And I didn't realize how long a day that is, right? Like, oh, to do this hour long show, like we rehearsed the whole show before we did it. So we ran through the show like three times. So I really didn't um, understand that side of it, I guess, before I did it. Like, you know, the game's at seven. They're like, hey, you need to be here at noon. And right. I was like, for what? Like, I, I don't want to sit for there all day. But we got meetings and then you go through and rehearse this thing. And and um, it was actually pretty helpful, though. You know, you, you go through it the first time. And they're like, hey, you're going to have to hold this baseball because your hands are going crazy. Say this, don't say that. and And then kind of get a more cohesive show together, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I guess my biggest takeaway, I just didn't really understand how big of a production it was. Yeah. Dude, I keep laughing. Like they made you hold a baseball because you didn't know what to do with your hands. Yeah, the, I I think at one point I went like cross-armed. You know, it was not good. 
<laughs> so tying all that in together, I have I have a quick story for you. So tying in bourbon, tying in broadcast experience, uh-huh. tying in being a little bit nervous. So just baseball, the company started back in 2021. Um, you know, we started our TikTok channel. We started this podcast in 2021 and we were able to go to the all-star game and we put on like kind of a, a bar event just to like bring more people to know what right. just baseball is. And you were an all-star back in 2021 yep. and you ended up coming to the bar that we were at and, and speaking about bourbon. It gets better. I, I, I wasn't had, there, but it gets better. I maybe had a couple, maybe more than yeah. a couple, maybe even more than that. And I see you there, and we hadn't really had on any players at that point because our podcast was so new. But right. we had gotten a little bit of a following on TikTok, so I'm feeling myself. I'm like, yeah. get anybody on the pod? That's Walker Buehler. I'm going to go up and ask him. And everyone's like, don't bother him. He's he's enjoying his time off. And I'm like, I've had seven bourbons. I'm going to go ask him. So as you're leaving the bar, I go up to you, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm Peter, as if you know who I am. And yeah. I was like, would you like to be on the Just Baseball show? And you were so nice. You were so respectful, but you kind of were like, yeah, get away from me, weirdo. So, and then um, your agent gave me his card and I called the number. Nobody answered. Perfect. And then now this is just kind of a crazy moment that now you're a weekly guest on the Just Baseball show because I went up to you and I was like, please walk or be on the show. And you're like, get away from me. Like I can (laughs) smell you right now. (laughs) Oh my God. These things happen, you know? I don't, yeah, I don't really recognize – my assumption is that I probably had a few as well. Um, probably. So I'm not really <laughs> – We're enjoying bourbon now on the same podcast. It's kind of cool. Right. Exactly. Hey, do you get more people coming up to you in L.A. or when you're back home in Lexington? Um, L.A. for sure. LA. Lexington, Lexington is just kind of a different place. It's like a town or a small town. So right. people more know me just from growing up here, I think, than anything. Right. Um, but L.A. here and there, it's not too bad. Got you. All right. Hopping into baseball. Okay. What we want to talk about is, is, and we can frame it which any way you want. Is it your favorite arms to watch right now? Guys you think are are the best arms in baseball right now? Where do you want to go with this? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think it being early in the year, I think the, the guys that are throwing the ball right now is probably the coolest thing. Obviously, you know, we know DeGrom and Scherzer and these guys and Kirsch that are kind of, well-established some of the greatest guys ever, but um, like a guy like Strider is throwing the ball incredible right now. Um, Sonny Gray's had a great start to his season and um, also a former Vandy guy. So a, a buddy of mine, but um, yeah, I think, I think Sonny's probably one of my favorite people to watch right now, just the way he kind of, he's doing it differently than everyone else, right? Most guys now it's high spin fastballs, velocity and, and, you know, hard breaking balls under and, He's kind of playing that X game on on the outer third of the plate to righties and um, doing it as good as anyone. Yeah. So, so oh, I, I just have a quick question about Sonny Gray because I know you guys, I think, were teammates at the tail end of Sonny's career at Vanderbilt. Yes, yeah, so he got drafted in 2011, and my first year there was 13. So I missed him by okay uh, two years. But the year that they went to Omaha, his junior year, was the first time Bayonet had ever gone to Omaha, and that was like, that was my senior of high school, or no? Junior. That was my junior junior high school. So I had just committed to Vanderbilt, and you know, was excited to go. And and then that first year they went to Omaha, and it was like, oh, I'm going to a big boy school. I didn't really realize how good these guys were. Has he ever talked to you about his experience with the Yankees? Because he was one of baseball's best pitchers. Then he yeah. goes to the Yankees and struggles for a little bit, then mm-hmm. leaves and is right back to being that excellent pitcher that he is. Yeah. Has he ever kind of talked to you about that experience with the Yankees? Because some guys go there and absolutely thrive. Some guys go there and fall a little bit below expectations. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just dependent on the player. I'm wondering if he's confided in you about that experience. Um, yeah, I've talked to him here and there about it. I'm not not super specifically. I know at that point in his career, he was really tinkering with kind of his pitch mix and stuff. So, um, you know, you look at him early in his career, even in college, and then what he's doing now, pretty similar. Um, he's got the little runner and, and a four-seamer as well with a lot of breaking balls. And I think in New York, they tried to tinker with it a little bit on, on exactly his mix. Um, I think they wanted him to throw like a harder slider instead of this big, big spinny slider that he's kind of been known for. And um you know, I think that coupled with a new division and new surroundings and all that, it just, I guess it just didn't work out very well. 
good job, good job Yankees, trying to tur- like turn Sonny Gray into something that he's not. Great job, right. Yankees. Proud of you. Right. Damn but, it. <laughs> you know, Sonny's, Sonny's also an interesting one because he's he's a smaller guy and, and he kind of has to do it a different way. And um, he's obviously had a, had a great career and been really successful. It's just, you know, not every guy is 6'5", 240 pounds and can just throw fastballs, right? Like, you know, especially a smaller guy's got to kind of figure some things out. And, you know, if those get a, a skew a little bit, it can, it can get a little hairy. A couple of things that you just mentioned that I know we're going to hit on in the next couple of weeks is, you know, time at Vandy and like that place mm-hmm. turning into a baseball power. And, you know, we'll talk about that as we get into the NCAA baseball tournament. Um, also pitch mix. I know that, you know, Peter wants to talk to you in the next couple of weeks about, you know, how you've kind of altered your pitch mix over the seasons. Um, Sonny, I think is a great example. Another guy that's like not the biggest uh, when you look belt and below, he is one of the biggest and Spencer Strider. I mean, right. that he takes better care of his lower half than like anybody I've ever seen. And, and the way he's doing it is so incredibly impressive, man. Like it's yeah. fastball all the time for strikes slider all the time for strikes. And he's just bullying guys. What mm-hmm. do you see when you watch Spencer Strider? Yeah. I mean, obviously when you first see him, right. It, it's the big fastball and, and the slider. And, and this year he's got the little change up going too, which, um, you know, as, as time goes on, he's going to develop and, and, have you know things other than fastball slider, but I think from a purely stuff standpoint, it, it's hard to argue that he's not one of the top five top five guys in terms of stuff, right? The the fastball's huge and, and the slider's really good. And, um, yeah, his delivery's super clean and and just seems to to know what he wants to do and and doesn't really waver too much off of that. And and you know, having been around Clayton and and watching guys that are able to do certain things extremely well over and over and over and, and kind of live and die by that. I think uh, that's certainly what he's doing. And, uh, you know, to go from a straight two pitch guy to now that change up is developing and, you know, that happened pretty quick. It wasn't like a four year process to find this little cutter that like he just showed up this year and, and had a really good change up as well. So uh, definitely one of, one of my favorite guys to watch. Strider has one of those fastballs that I feel like confuses hitters, not in the sense of, you know, it's it's so fast. You're like, how did it get past me? It's more right. like it's it feels middle, and it is middle. But right. guys are just consistently swinging under it. Like I was watching the uh, his game against the Orioles last night, and Cedric Mullins swings through a couple of fastballs, yep. and he kind of gives the confused look, not like the angry look. He's just like, how the hell did I miss that? Like right. Taj Bradley was doing the same thing, got by Rafael Devers, and Devers looks yep. at him, looks at the scoreboard, he's like, that looked 102 but i'm reading 95 it must be just that incredible life which you also get on your fastball yeah at one point i had a lot of it but we'll see we're gonna try and get that back no the the only experience i've had with that you know i've faced some guys that that threw really hard and uh like herman marquez is a guy that that you barely can see it him and zach wheeler are probably the two Mm. guys that i've never you just barely see the ball but um, I remember the first time I ever fixed, uh, faced Scherzer. He threw me a fastball down the middle, oh, oh, first at bat. And I looked up, it was 96, and it didn't look that hard. Threw me a slider, threw me a slider, then threw me a fastball up. And I swung, struck out like everyone does, and look up, and it was 96. And I swear to God, they've seemed 12 miles an hour different, the first and the second fastball. And I, t- I walked back into the dugout and I told Doc, I said, listen, man, I have to hit the first pitch. I have no chance if I don't hit the first pitch. So the next at bat, I swung at the first pitch, flew out to right center. Like, it was my only shot. I took it. But, yeah, it's, it, there's something with release angle, you know, all these analytics. Like, these things are real. They, you know, they things change. These guys with low release points that still jump the ball, especially at velocity, it's so difficult. Fly out to right as a pitcher. Did you count that as a moral victory, or like, do you need a base hit to feel good? Oh, as long as I don't strike out, I feel pretty good about it. Cool. Yeah, I got, I got my one, I got my one homer in the big leagues, and then after that, it was kind of downhill from there. But uh, no, we gave it a good try. N- another thing I got to ask you about in the next couple of weeks is pinch running. Like, dude, okay. you pinch running on multiple instances is crazy to me. Two more guys that you know, I, I want your thoughts on here. Um, two of the younger guys, one in your division, one in the AL East, Shane McClanahan in Tampa and Zach Gallen in Arizona. Gallen was on that crazy stretch, 28 scoreless innings. I mean, this guy has been on some sort of heater to start this year. And I'm curious from your perspective, 
why has Gallen transformed into like this bona fide ace over the last season and change? Um, I mean, I, I think the most impressive thing about Gallen is he can, I, I've seen him do it at 96 and I've seen him do it at 91 and it, it doesn't change what he does. And it doesn't, it seemingly doesn't change really like how the hitters react. Like he, he just commands the ball really well and holds the ball and messes with timing and, like before these new pickoff rules, he picked off more than anyone in baseball. And I think, I think it was tough on hitters because he, he just, he's always playing that kind of game with guys. And, and then obviously with his mix and really good change up commands four or five pitches now, especially a little cutter. And um, I just think it's hard to get on time against him. Yeah. So these are Walker Bueller's top five pitchers right now. We have Sonny Gray. We have Zach Gallen. We have okay. Shane McClanahan. Two more. Who are you looking at? Uh, Kirsch is up there for sure. Um, yeah, hold on. He had Sonny. He had Strider. Strider. Yeah. Kershaw. Kershaw. If you threw two more in. Yeah, I mean, McClanahan's got about as good stuff as anybody. Um, it's hard, man. I, you know, if when DeGrom's healthy, it, it's kind of hard to bet against him. Uh, Cole is off to a good start this year. Uh, he's obviously been doing it, doing it at a pretty high level for a while. So, um, you know, Scherzer still career wise is, is one of the better guys we've ever seen. And um, I, I just think there's a lot of really, really high quality guys in the league right now. Uh, you know, even, even the younger guys are coming up and, or like they're uh, I don't, composed isn't the word, but they're like put together, right. It you used to get guys come up and throw a million and, and they don't really know, what's going on or they're just out stuffing guys, but now guys are coming up and they have like these intricate pitch mixes and, you know, throw pitches to both sides of the plate and, and can do things that, you know, I think 25 years ago, you know, rookies probably weren't doing. So speaking about crazy stuff, obviously Julio Rios has been that guy now for a while, but I turn on the TV every single time Dustin May is on the mound. Yeah. And what I've really liked about May this year is he's relying on that four seam a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't get cute, man. Right. Like you don't need to like be around the corners with cutters and sinkers, just blow a hundred by guys. Right. It has crazy life. And then he's spinning 3,200 RPM yeah. curveballs. Like what have you seen from Dustin May as he's taking that next step to show that he's an ace in this league? Yeah. Uh, you know, Dustin, I've, obviously was he was figuring it out right before he got hurt and so I think now he's got his feet back under him with the arm and the delivery and stuff and, and now you know last night he threw the ball really well and you can yeah. see he just he just got his feet under him again so you know we're all obviously really excited about where he is and where he's going I think he can I think he can beat just about anybody in in the game you know it's hard to hard to say anybody has better stuff than him so uh, now it's just him him repeating it and doing it over and over and over and over and, and hopefully doing it for a lot of years to come for us. I think he will. Walker Bueller, last one for you. Give me a guy, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but but okay. give me a guy that you know you think deserves more love on the Hill than what he gets. I think Julio is probably the the easy one for me on that. Just having seen the years he's put together and, and obviously he's not quite quite where he wants to be this year so far, which he will figure out and, and obviously he's extremely talented human, but you know, he's won 20 games. He's added two, whatever three or he had last year. He just, he takes the ball and, and he goes and wins and goes deep in games. And um, I don't really know why he doesn't get kind of the, the recognition, but um, you know, outside of Sandy last year, like I don't think anyone had a better case than, than Julio to win the Cy Young. And um, you know, I'm hoping I get to keep playing with him for a while. And he's a free agent after this year. So um I hope he I hope he stays in LA. I hope he does too. He just feels like a Dodger. Right. No, I agree. Been one since he was 18. Hey, Walker Bueller, you are the man. Appreciate you very much. And uh we'll Absolutely. talk thanks, fellas. Yeah. Yeah, thanks All a right. lot, Walker. Thanks. I love that he ID'd Sonny like right away. You know, when when I was talking to him just back and forth, like, hey, who are some of the guys that you want to talk about? Strider and Sonny Gray were the first two that came to mind. And everybody wants to talk about Strider right now. Uh, I am very happy that Sonny Gray is getting the love that he deserves around the league right now. Because I I think that point that he made about the pitch mix of Sonny Gray 
is so pertinent, man. I mean, like this guy is not throwing fastballs for Minnesota. No. Joe Ryan has the invisible on the low 90s. Sonny is mixing in the low 90s fastball, like maybe 90, 91. But what this guy is doing is just spinning you to death. And he's got a sub two ERA from doing it. No, he just runs these two seamer sinkers outside the zone. Then he gets you with the slider. Everything is moving and you can't time anything up. Like he's really good at changing eye levels and just throwing. And he's not like a nibbler, but he's always on the edges. His command is pinpoint. And I kind of wish, though, that he spoke about Joe Ryan as well, because I think Joe Ryan has been in that exact tier. The twins have these two horses at the top. And Pablo Lopez has kind of taken a little bit of a step back. But as he takes a step back, fucking Bailey Ober is rising. Like the twins are so interesting because we're used to Home run, strikeout, walk. This team is going to lead the league in runs like a couple of years ago, and their pitching is is nothing to write home about. Now it's the opposite. The offense has not been there for Minnesota, but you know what has? The pitching. So I'm glad that he at least mentioned one Minnesota twin because, you know, there's a lot of surprises, but I think one of the surprises that's not really being talked about is how good this Minnesota Twins starting rotation has been. Yeah, so Sonny's been awesome, right? He's 4-0 and through seven starts. He's thrown 40 innings. He's got a 1-3-5. But other guys, I mean, like, you know, Lopez has been so good. And Ober is stepping up when Mally and Maeda hit the shelf. And we're going to get some combination of Louis Varlin and Simeon Woods Richardson in this rotation to spell that. And I love what some of these bullpen arms are doing, too. Honestly, I think with with how Cleveland has looked and with them optioning Plesak, like they're going to be in scramble mode for the five now. Like that's just the case. They optioned Oscar Gonzalez. They've had yeah, a couple other guys that are just kind of stinking it up right now. I think this is the chance for Minnesota to, to pounce. And I mean, what? Cleveland is now 16 and 18. Minnesota is 19 and 16. They're the only team in that division above 500. Yes, the Guardians and Twins, they had a pretty good series between themselves. So, yeah, the Twins are 16 and 18, uh, but the Guardians did take two of three from them. But the Guardians had, you know, lost two of three to the Yankees. It's just been a kind of a boring season for the Guardians so far, for lack of a better word. It's just the offense hasn't really come through. They've gotten solid-ish pitching. The bullpen hasn't been quite as elite in previous years. But they're not falling to the bottom. They're just playing middling baseball right now. And the the reason why I still have faith in them winning the Central is because while the Twins are getting really good production from their starting staff and good production from their bullpen, they're not pulling away. And I felt that this series, of course, it's early May, but it's kind of like a statement series. If the Twins swept them or something, it's like, this is our division. But the Guardians really showed up. And, you know, they didn't blow him out or anything, but how about an unbelievable start from Cal Quantrill? Yeah, he was great. In Cal. He was right behind me. So that I think that race is going to be one of the more entertaining in baseball throughout this entire season because we're starting to see, at least in the American League East, one team in particular is running away with it. The AL West is still a dogfight between the Rangers, the Angels, the Mariners, and the Astros. That's going to be great. The Braves are pretty much pulling away. The National League Central, I mean, we talk about the Cardinals not doing well. The Brewers are starting to slide. Like, there's an opening there for another team. And then the West, Dodgers, Padres. I mean, even shout out the Diamondbacks, too. Right. I shout out the Rockies. Hey, the Rockies took two and three from the Mets in Queens. I think that's more of an indictment on the Mets. I mean, they are playing some of the worst baseball in the entire league right now. Like, you know... Will Cohen, producer of the Twitch stream, which we do 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern every Monday through Friday. He's a Mets fan. And guys will come on and pitch the Mets, and I could see him just shaking his head. He's like, we aren't winning. I mean, it just it's bad right now in Queens. Bro, I tell you what. I love these Frank the Tank videos, the Barstool <laughs> Frank Fleming thing. Yeah, these videos- they're kind of funny, but they're... Yeah, they're very over the top. I love him. He he <laughs> hates the Mets. I don't like some of the nicknames because I think they're mean to the players. But um, I, I think that his videos and like the anger that he shows is very funny. Um, also, I can have a Medela now. Game's over, so I'm drinking. Hey, and you can't stop me. I am not. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> 
Uh, I do want to hit three series from this weekend. Mm-hmm. But before any of that, and Aram and I, I know, are going to get, you know, a little bit deeper into like these weeds and just kind of lay, like look at Ali Marmol, look at Moselak and all that stuff tomorrow. But like, what the hell's going on in St. Louis with the Wilson Contreras thing, man? The way that I tracked it, thanks to your friend and mine, Katie Wu with The Athletic, she she kind of collabed with Ken Rosenthal on this, was Ali Marmol pretty much said that Wilson Contreras does not have a vote of confidence from the starting rotation or from Yadier Molina when it comes to game calling. Um, so they are relinquishing him of his starting catcher role. And they're going to have him DH and play corner outfield. That's what the first rule was. Then the next day, Sunday, John Mozalak, the president of baseball operations for the Cardinals, comes out and says he's not playing the corner outfield. So there's just like a total miscommunication here. It doesn't sound like Wilson's going to be catching for a couple weeks. And I guess like the question that I need answered is you just commit about $90 million to this guy over five years. He's been in your division on your arch rival for his entire career. And it has been so well known since he debuted that he was not the best game caller and battery mate. Why give him the 90 mil if you felt like this was going to be an issue? And like, shouldn't you get the vote of confidence from Yadier Molina? Like, it's not like any cub that's friends with Yadi is going to withhold information that, you know, Wilson Contreras is a bad game caller. And it's also not confidential information either. So I, I don't know. I guess I'm just so confused. Like the pro scouting, I saw Matt Spiegel make this point. He was like, the pro scouting really dropped the ball here. I was thinking, honestly, like just the vetting process in general of Wilson Contreras is terrible from the Cardinals. And this feels like another panic move. We were talking about the Walker option being a panic move. This Contreras thing, especially on the heels of Ali Marmol and Tyler O'Neill's feud at the beginning of the year, feels fucking weird. It does feel weird. And it just, I think you said it perfectly. It's a panic move. You know, the Cardinals are in a free fall right now. They did have that big 12 to 6 win over the Tigers. But in the two games that Wilson didn't catch, and obviously this is recent and you can't put a lot of stock into it. But let's say Andrew Kinzer, he, you know, the Cardinals came back and they threw two shutouts or they shut down the Tigers offense, which isn't that hard. But in back-to-back games where Wilson wasn't catching, the Tigers put up six runs in both games combined for 12. I don't think that's the answer. Like you take out Wilson from the catching position and now you're really going to start vaulting up the leaderboards. I, I think it's a panic move. I don't really understand it. And I don't even think a lot of Cardinals fans understand it. I don't even think the Cardinals understand it. I don't even think Wilson understands it. And, and Wilson, like apparently he's been mature about it and is trying to take these next steps. And like, the knock on Wilson was he lacked maturity in Chicago. Like, this is not a new problem with Wilson Contreras. Like, yes, John Lester and David Ross had that thing in Boston, and that's why Ross came to Chicago to be his personal catcher. But in the post-David Ross era, there were pitchers that, like, were vocal about not wanting to throw to Wilson Contreras all the time because he doesn't really, like, understand how the game's flowing, apparently. And, you know, I mean, this is all, like, what I read, you know, growing up in Chicago and being, you know, keeping tabs on the Cubs, this guy was never good at this. And, and now you're you're dinging him because one of the greatest defensive catchers of all time was on the phone with him for 10 minutes. It was like, yeah, this guy doesn't have a read. I mean, it, it's really weird. And if you subscribe to The Athletic, highly recommend going to read Katie Wu and Ken Rosenthal's like collaborative piece on this because, I mean, it, it sheds as much light as possible on a dark room. Like there's no clarity on what's going on at all. They do as much digging as possible, but this is chaos for St. Louis right now. And I'm not saying like blow it up, but I think it's like hard look in the mirror at 2023 time for the St. Louis Cardinals because this shit's getting out of hand quick. I was also looking just at how Wilson Contreras ranks metrically among all catchers. He's average. Terrible. He's actually been above average defensively by the numbers, which isn't everything. And yeah. It's very hard to actually, you know, 
look at the numbers and be like, yeah, that's a good catcher unless you watch him every day. Right. But of course, it's impossible for us to watch him every single day. But by the numbers, so baseball prospectus, I think, has the best catching metrics possible. And there's this metric, if you look up baseball prospectus, catching metrics, go to CDA leaderboard. That's what I think is the best catching metric we have. Out of 75 qualified catchers, he ranks 19th, one spot above Adley Rutschman, right? There's a lot of different metrics as well on Baseball Savant. So by catcher framing runs, he's ranked 24th out of 58 qualified catchers. When we're looking at catcher throwing, so this is a new stat. It um, It's called catcher strikes above average, or what is it called? I don't even know what, caught stealing rates. Yeah. Caught stealing rates above average. Wilson Contreras ranks ninth in all of baseball out of 52 qualified catchers. Now he's towards the bottom of the leaderboard in blocking, but metrically at least, he's an above average defensive catcher. And I understand the pitch calling, like maybe that could be something, but then we just saw two games where they gave up six runs and like they're kind of, shifting the blame to Wilson. And I know he's not a great defender. Like I actually think he's worse than maybe the metrics say he is, but he's not just a complete disaster. He's not Gary Sanchez back there. He's not, you know, you turn away with Wilson Contreras. Yeah. Maybe he's not the best pitch caller, but if he's still a fine catcher, why don't you call the pitches from the dugout? Right. Yeah. I don't get it. So it's tough with, you know, we are in the era of the pitch clock and pitch com where calling pitches from, you know, the, the dugout is near impossible. And, you know, like, I, I don't think it's like something that really happens in Major League Baseball. Um, I thought this was a really good point from Katie during the day um, uh, yesterday. Katie Wu said that's the 21st home run allowed on two strikes for the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> That's that's bad. They have allowed 21 two strike homers. The pitching staff that's, has that's that's really bad. And then she followed to say, as we talk about pitch selection, game calling, et cetera, let's also remember execution matters, too. I was like, snaps, dude, like that's spot on. Wilson, yes, I, I can appreciate that they are not just looking at baseball savant and being like, but he's good. Like, suck it up. I appreciate that they're willing to have that dialogue with pitchers. And it's like, hey, something isn't gelling at all. Let's figure this out. Um, but we also have to acknowledge that the pitching on the other side of this has been trash. Like is Steven Matz's troubles on Wilson Contreras? Is Michaelis Jack- getting hit around the ballpark on Miles Mike or on uh, Wilson Contreras? It's so funny. Miles Michaelis's ERA without Yachty is not good. I don't know what it is exactly, but I saw it recently. I think he had an ERA with Yachty around three and an ERA without Yachty around five. So sorry you don't have maybe the greatest defensive catcher ever. That doesn't mean it's Wilson Contreras is the problem. Like Adam Wainwright with Andrew Kinzer. Right. Gave up four earned eight hits in five innings. Is that uh, Wilson wasn't catching, right? And that's like, that's the uh... thing. Man. So Wilson's going to DH. And like the I'm just going off the initial report. And the secondary report was he's not going to play outfield. Even if he did. Even if you create him as a DH in a corner outfield type. All right, you're taking at bats from your DH and outfield surplus. So you're taking yep. at bats from a Nolan Gorman and an Alec Burleson and a Tyler O'Neill and a Dylan Carl. Like you've got so many, and you are handing those at bats at the catching position to the duo of Andrew Kisner and Trace Barrera. Y- your lineup got worse. They better have a grand plan to go get Dylan Cease or something with this surplus of outfielders and DH types. Because if they stand pat at the deadline again and be like, oh, it was a little bit too expensive to give Nolan Gorbid for Dylan Cease, the St. Louis is going to lose their minds, and rightfully so. I think they already I mean, are, man. They already are, and they should be. Have you ever seen Bush Stadium, the booze? I've never seen that before in... You know, in a decade of watching baseball, they don't boo like that, but it is so rightfully so. I mean, Yankee fans will boo Aaron Judge if he goes over four after hitting 62 home runs. Cardinals fans, you know, they're a really smart fan base, and they don't boo unless it's warranted, and you can hear the boos on the broadcast. And I even put out a tweet. I said, this is a safe space for Cardinals fans. Are we okay? I've never seen you boo like that. And you should have seen the complaints. And these are smart baseball fans who know their team, know what's working, 
know what's not. And the three things that come up, starting pitching, Ali Marmol, and John Mosellock. Yeah. That's the three. And it's just, it's one after another. It's not Wilson Contreras's defense. No. I think other people need to take a look in the mirror. Yes, and, and I think that the Cardinals front office is trying to, and Ali Marmol is trying to point a finger at Wilson in regards to the starting pitching woes, but we knew this was going to be a problem going in if they were throwing to Yadier Molina or Wilson Contreras. So this also is an issue, yeah. Shows how impactful Yadi is. Oh, like yeah. All those sure. nerds who think that Yadi isn't one of the all-time greats. Not only was he one of the great defensive catchers ever, maybe the best, maybe next to like a Johnny Bench or something like that. the all-time leaders. All-time leaders in the dugout. I mean, he was a second manager. That's the thing. He was a second manager. And without him, you're seeing what's happening. Yeah. So Arm and I are going to go a little bit deeper into that tomorrow. Uh, St. Louis is nine back at Pittsburgh. St. Louis has dropped eight of their last 10. The Pirates have dropped seven of their last 10, seven in a row. The Pirates got swept in Tampa. They go home and they get swept by the Blue Jays in brutal fashion. Outscored 22 to 3 this weekend. I, I can go right through this series. Like I'll I'll open the floor to you for a main takeaway, but my main takeaway here is Toronto's really freaking good. So good. Tampa's like the best team in baseball right now. Toronto's a wagon and should not be taken lightly whatsoever. Absolutely not. And I think the magic's running out for Pittsburgh, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, the magic of winning every day, of course, like, I think it's whatever your expectations are for Pittsburgh, right? Like, we thought it, they wouldn't beat, you know, they wouldn't beat the Blue Jays. They wouldn't beat the Rays. Like, yeah, they're not one of the best teams in baseball, but I still think they're competitive. Now, my one worry with the Pirates was they're getting a lot of contributions from veterans and older guys, not just veterans of the game, but older players like a Carlos Santana, like an Andrew McCutcheon, you know, a lot of these guys in their lineup. I want to see what they look like in the dog days in August after playing 21 straight games or something like that. That was what my worry was with the pirates, but I still think they have pretty solid pitching. I still think Rowanzi is a good pitcher. I still yes. think Mitch Keller is a good pitcher. I think Yoan Oviedo, he has something there. They have the magic of 20 and 8 is probably gone. But do I think they can still be mildly competitive this year? Absolutely. And they're that's still outdoing preseason expectations. So I know Pirates fans are probably down right now, and rightfully so. But you blew through the league at the very beginning. And yeah, you're going to go on a slide. Yeah, you might finish under 500. But I'm sure Pirates fans were expecting 70 wins. They might be a 75-77 win team, which is outdoing expectations. And then you're going to get the cruise missile and number one overall in the draft, who's going to instantly become a top 10 overall prospect. Our mock draft is is live on JustBaseball.com. We wrote about it. He's the best prospect we've seen since Adley Rutschman. Like You're going to get him. They're doing all this without O'Neill Cruz. So I think there's still a lot of excitement in Pittsburgh while the best team in the National League has probably worn off. But come on. Yeah, yeah. And I think I was caught up in the fever of that, you know, story because like Pirates fans are so good, man. That's such a good fan base. Smart as shit. So smart. They love their Pirates. I think the entire National League Central fan base are all very smart. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. Um, I, I think the Pirates embody that really well. The Cubs fans, like, they are way more present. Cardinals fans, way more present. But the Pirates, Reds, Brewers, sneaky, awesome fan bases. Uh, and Pittsburgh, I think I just got swept up in the fever of, like, this team's legit. Like, this team's a postseason contender. Like, no, I don't think so. Um, this was a good comeback-to-earth week. I'm with you. I still think they can be a 75-ish win team. Um, but I think that's what they are. I don't think that they're that 20 and 8 start. It's May 8th. Brent Rooker's leading the league in slugging. Yeah. Like Luis Arias is hitting 430. Things are going to change. Although people forget you like the A's lineup. <laughs> I do like the A's lineup. Another great showing against Kansas City. 
Oh, God, you shouldn't like the A's lineup. All right. Why? They're 17th at WRC Plus as we sit here today. That's slightly below average. Brent Rooker is 2002 Barry Bonds right now. There are 12 teams worse on offense than the Oakland A's right now. Oh, let's read. We're talking about right now. God. We're talking about right now. You're right. Okay. A's fans, go to the games. You're going to see a slightly below average offense. (laughs) Yeah. And the worst starting rotation in baseball. Yeah. Fujinami's in the bullpen now. He looked okay. Sort of. <laughs> Short inning reliever. Um, all right, two more series to go through real quick. In the AL East, Yankees Rays, thing that I took, it showed the vulnerability of Tampa. Like they jumped on Josh Fleming, who went five. And, and you know, like Rasmussen's gonna be great. McClanahan's gonna be great. But can you capitalize against the rest? And I think the answer right now is yes. But this series, more than anything, I think highlighted the Yankee shortcomings. Um, they were up what six nothing, and then Garrett yeah. Cole allows five in the fifth, and then the bullpen coughs it up. I actually kind of had a different takeaway from the series. I thought it. I thought the Rays did not play well the entire series. I thought it was one of the worst series I've seen the Rays play, facing off against a Yankees team, which I actually thought played pretty well, and the Rays still took two out of three. Yeah, the, you give them an inch, and they take a mile. They they see a little bit like Jake Bauer, that play in left field, and then Randy comes in and score. I don't know if Randy hit it. I kind of forget. But that mistake out there, like they pounce on it, right? They go down early in the game. It wasn't looking good. And then they mount an incredible comeback against arguably the best pitcher in baseball up to this point. The guy who's 7-0, 5-0 in his own record and has like a 1-2 ERA. That ERA rose against the Rays. What that showed me is that even when the Rays aren't playing that well, they can still beat you. That's what my takeaway was. So I saw probably the worst series I've seen from the Rays, and they still took two out of three. Shows you and the Yankees, yeah. they're just not that good right now. Like, objectively. like yeah. they, I thought they played really well. Harrison Bader is hitting 389 with a 1,200 OPS. Great to see him back. But I thought the Yankees played pretty well. The Rays didn't play well. And the Rays took two out of three. That was my takeaway. Yeah, Bader's been a nice shot in the arm for the Yankees. Um, last thing that I want to say about this series, you know, we were thinking about maybe getting into the Arena kevin Cash thing. Um, Arena hits a homer. I think that was game one, and then he gets plunked his next two ABs, mm-hmm. and Cash gets tossed uh, after the warning to the pitcher. Shouldn't have been a warning. Should have just tossed the Yankee arm. Like, we knew that was intentional. Come it on. Now. So, it looked so intentional. Albert Abreu, it looked so intentional. Yeah, it was just mid-90s to the ribs. And and yeah. Randy, Randy's a champ, man. And, like, a Rosa Reina is going to deal with this shit. Um, I think Wander Franco is going to deal with this shit. Those two are supernovas in baseball right now. They oh. are the two best players playing every day on the best team in baseball. And they are going to hear the Boo Birds. Don't care. Those guys are awesome. Uh, Yandy Diaz is in that category. Yeah. Yandy Diaz is a freak. So he was a guy who put up like a 140 WRC plus last season, made a lot of hard contact, but a lot of it was on the ground. And he only hit nine home runs last season. Now he's close to that total and it's May 8th. And he's still hitting the ball super hard. And he's playing decent enough defense. Yandy Diaz has been a top 20 hitter in baseball this season. Wander Franco has been a top 10 player. Randy's been a top 20 player. They have all three of these guys, and Brandon Lau's playing really good too. They're just so deep. Like even when you give up, Josh Fleming gives up six runs, they still win. Yeah, They're just unbelievably good. Yeah, They're a juggernaut from the top of the rotation, McClanahan, to Taylor Walls, who's like a only hitting against lefties or something and is having a renaissance offensively. They just get the most out of everybody. And the payroll is a quarter of the Yankees, a quarter. What are they? 71 million versus 280 or something. Nuts like that. I'll tell you right now. Um, Yeah. The Tampa payroll as I go to team payrolls. The Yankees are at 279.6. They're second in baseball. Tampa's at 73.9. That's 28th in baseball. So you've got the second highest payroll against the third lowest payroll. And we know that, you know, like the name of the game isn't always spending money, as you've learned from the 17 and 18 New York Mets. Um, 
spending that much money on free agents does not always correlate to winning a lot of baseball games. I think spending money strategically plus good player development plus ID and good talent creates a great environment. Exhibit A, the LA Dodgers. Um, but no, I mean, Tampa has nailed the player development and Tampa has nailed the IDing players to thrive in their system. I think that's why. Is it too early to say that the Rays are going to win this division? I mean, I know it's May 8th, so it's like you can't really make decisions like this. But I feel like at this point, they are just running away with it. Absolutely yeah. running. They're 28 and 7. Like this is 1984 Tigers territory where I think they started the season 35 and 6 or something <laughs> like that. And they ended up winning the division. I mean, this team, like you go into the trop, you ain't beating them. You just yes. simply are not beating Tampa in Tampa Bay. Like the Yankees got one. And even I thought that was amazing. Like the fact that the Yankees won one game, I thought to myself, that was a great series. The fact that we got one is incredible. And we got one. You know the Kevin Malone thing? It's just nice to win one. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Like I want to say yes. And I want to say, like, I've got Vladdy and Bo Bichette on line one here. Absolutely. But I mean, Tampa, like, Tampa's got a better rotation. Tampa's got a better bullpen. Tampa has a comparable lineup at this point right now. So I have no, I don't want to eulogize the other four teams in the AL East just yet, but it's going to be really hard for me to close my eyes and see a team other than Tampa winning the AL East. And we cannot count out the Orioles, who have a yeah. better record than Toronto and just went into Atlanta. They lost two out of three, but it was nine to four win in the first game, yeah, five to four in the second, and three to two just, in the third. Yeah, I mean, I really just close games, and they face Freed and Schreider. I just don't think they have the pitching to survive. I don't we think keep they have saying that, but their offense is so amazing that they're just winning games by scoring seven, eight runs. I know what you're saying. I totally yeah. do. Like, do I think that they will finish second at the end of the year? I don't I think they finished third. Would I be surprised to see them finish above the Yankees and the Red Sox? Absolutely not. Absolutely. And that gets you in the playoffs. Yeah. Real quick to wrap the show. We're talking mid Sunday night baseball. I think it's bottom four right now. We're through four. San Diego winning 2 nothing against Julio Rios and the Dodgers. Game one of this series, we had a multi-homer day from Fernando Tatis Jr. against Clayton Kershaw. Game two, Evan Phillips slammed the door. Dustin May got the win 2-1 in San Diego. When I tell you this has recaptured that feeling from 2021 of like, oh, this awesome. is the best new rivalry in baseball, this weekend has been fucking awesome. Yeah, this has been the best series. I thought the Mariners Astros series was pretty entertaining. I thought it was good. Bryce Miller again, just invisible. I think that's you know I was I was doing some contemplating. Like, why did I miss on Christian Javier so bad? I think it's because I didn't understand how effective the just Joe having an incredible fastball is. Yep. And Bryce Miller, like, I don't even think the secondaries are that good, but it almost like doesn't really matter. Doesn't. I mean, when you're when you're seeing 97 with that much life, you can miss middle and these guys aren't touching it. So I just want to shout out Bryce Miller again, a six-inning shutout performance against the Astros. But just going back to this Padres-Dodgers series, I mean, the Padres got off to a little bit of a slow start. But you can just tell when these bats get going, I mean, you get Tatis on with a single in the first, and then you bring up Machado, and then you bring up Soto, and then you bring up Xander. They are, they can just start to roll and they'll put up a six spot on you like that. The only other team that's putting up six spots like that is the Texas Rangers. How about their offense? Shout out them. Dominating series over the Angels. Their bats are just unconscious right now. Yeah. But the Padres, they have something special there. And it's it's fun to watch. 12 innings, one run, 15 punch outs, one walk for Bryce Miller. So that that's the Bryce Miller love there, but and people dude, are saying, you know, it was against the A's. It was against the A's. How about against the Astros? How about against where the he Astros? arguably pitched better when he blows 97 right by Jordan Alvarez. I mean, it's, it's so fascinating, man. Shout First out Arum. Shout out Arum for the 80 for grade fastball. I mean, I don't know what else to give it when you're working <laughs> like that with basically just a fastball and like you got a couple other secondaries, but your command isn't that good and it doesn't matter. Well, how else would you grade it? He's also got a great mustache too. Good mustache. 80-grade fastball, 80-grade mustache. Um, but yeah, man, Padres, Dodgers, 
I'm locked into every Padres Dodgers game this season. All right. Uh, Aram and I will talk to you tomorrow. Give us the plug. Get yourself some Just Baseball merch, ladies and gentlemen. I'm rocking a hat. I'm rocking the athletic tee. Ward in my softball game went four for four. Will you go four for four if you get yourself a shirt? Probably. Probably. I give a lot of credit to this. So get yourself some Just Baseball merch. It's in the episode description. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, any new listeners listening to the Walker Bueller segment, we'd appreciate if you rated our podcast five stars, whether it be on Apple or Spotify. And leave a written review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, whatever. We read the comments, and we want to know what to talk about more, right? And, of course, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, and comment, again, other stuff that you want us to talk about. And if you said anything asinine, feel free to call us out in the chat. We love that kind of stuff. Don't call me out. I hate that shit. (laughs) Yeah, he hates that shit. So call us out. We'll be back tomorrow. Arm and Jack are going to dive deeper into the weeds of what's truly going on in St. Louis. And with that, 